let me let me read to us from Psalm 19. King David writes, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it refreshes our soul. Thank you that it makes us wise. Thank you that it gives joy to our hearts. Thank you that it gives light to our eyes. We might know how to live. Thank you that it is more precious than gold and pure gold and sweeter than honey. And we pray as we look at these, um, just these three verses this morning, we pray that you would speak to us. But where we need encouragement, would you encourage us? But where we need even challenge, and would you challenge us? We thank you that we don't have to guess what you are like, but you've revealed yourself to us. And so we pray as we dig into these three verses, you would speak. Well, we don't simply want to understand them better, but we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to apply them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'd like you, please, if you can, picture with me the post-IKEA joy of the family with young kids. I suspect that is an image that's multiplied the world over. You've arrived home again. Maybe you've got more blue bags than you know what to do with. You've got napkins and tea lights and pot plants and fabric and all the things you didn't know you needed. You've got a, a belly full of meatballs. And indeed, hopefully you've come back with the set of shelves or the chest of drawers that you went for in the first place. The thing that's going to transform your house. And there you are. You are armed with your small Allen key ready to ready to construct, ready to transform your world. And if you have small kids, then a small person is often there ready to help with their Allen key in hand as well. Of course, it's let's be honest, it's much easier to do on your own. But it's good to let them help. And maybe it's two steps forward and a step back and maybe it takes twice as long and maybe they get bored and run off and start to play with the boxes and maybe they get competitive with each other. Maybe they get in the way. Maybe things don't quite work out as you expected them to. If you don't have small kids, then imagine you were the small child and cast your mind back a number of years when you used to help um, your parents at home. It seems to me that's a little bit what's going on in Acts at this point. It's what we'll see if we were to read past chapter one. Do you remember last time, as Andrew was reminding us and the children, we said in Luke that in Luke we have what Jesus began to do and teach. That's part one. But in Acts we have part two. It's what Jesus continues to do and teach. And how does he do that? He does it through people. He does it through his church. Founded, do you remember, founded upon the reality of the resurrection and empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit. So last time we said, know that Jesus really rose again. And know that Jesus really will empower you. And as Andrew was reminding us, this is an ongoing story, a story that looks ahead. It's the story of Jesus continuing his work through his people. It's, it's through the rest of Acts and the epistles and church history and today and even to this coming week ahead of us. What Jesus continues to do through you. 
through me, through his church. He's still at work. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing because he uses people like us who get bored or distracted or who head off in the wrong direction or who even get in the way and make it all about us. And as this encounter continues this week, as Jesus commissions his disciples for the task ahead, we we get more and more clarity on how things are going to work out, on how God's kingdom is going to continue to grow. To stretch the analogy a little bit too far, maybe this is a bit more of the IKEA instructions of, of how the thing is going to be built. And the first thing I want you to see is that his kingdom will be heralded by spirit-empowered witnesses. His kingdom will be heralded by spirit-empowered witnesses. But it's striking because it all starts off with a slightly misguided question from the apostles. You see it there in verse 6. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It seems it seems in line with the Old Testament prophecies, they were expecting Jesus to come in and usher the physical physical kingdom rule now. They thought it was a here and now thing, a physical thing, a political thing. Their definition of kingdom, even after he's taught them again and again and again for three years, is faulty. They still don't quite get it. It's not a physical earthly kingdom in the here and now. It's in hearts, it's forever, it's transformative. It's not just of a small earthly kingdom, but of the world, of reality. And yes, Jesus answers them. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't tell them off. He is still very patient with them. He he doesn't say, are you still so dull? Because he's patient with people who get it wrong. He answers it, but he does that by reminding them of what God has promised that his people would do. And the idea that he brings out is this idea of being a witness. And the idea of being a witness is not a new idea at all when it comes to the Bible. For example, have a listen with me to some verses from Isaiah, one of the key Old Testament prophets who looked ahead to the time of Jesus. Looked ahead to a time when God's people will be his witnesses. At a time when they proclaim that he is the one true God and that all the other gods, little g, are not real and don't satisfy and don't work. That the true God is worth following and nobody else is worth following because they never truly satisfy. So, for example, Isaiah 43 verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Or 43 verse 12, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. And then get this one, one of my favourites, Isaiah 44 and verse 8 onwards. Do not tremble, don't be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing. And the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol who can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down. You see, he's saying God is God. Other gods are simply idols. The things that we worship, the things that we think will satisfy, the things we think will save us, they're nothing. They're nothing. 
And so now is a time when God's people will be his spirit-empowered witnesses. Now is a time when we will point people to the true God. Actually, we need to get this right. The, the work of the Spirit in the New Testament, I, I think it is primarily aimed at glorifying Jesus, at pointing to Jesus, at magnifying Jesus, at making his people look more like Jesus, at, at spotlighting Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus, always pointing away from himself towards Jesus. And the trouble is, we can get this wrong. We can easily, wrongly think that the work of the Spirit is only or primarily about some of the slightly weird stuff that we sometimes hear about or sometimes are involved in. I was thinking recently on this and came across a, a quote by um, a man named David Watson. Some of you will know him. He, uh, he died in 1984 from cancer, but he was a, a well-known, charismatic pastor, author, evangelist, writer, teacher it's based up in york at st michael le balfrey um, and he once said this about the spirit he said i was struck because he was part of the charismatic renewal movement and a well-known part but he said the spirit is concerned not primarily with religious experiences but with the truth of the gospel and with the truth of god's word isn't that striking? The spirit is concerned primarily with the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. It's pointing ahead, pointing on to Jesus. That we might listen, that we might trust, that we might obey. Which is exactly what we see here as we see the spirit being given, poured out in a few verses time and empowering God's people to take that message, to take the word, to take the gospel, to continue his work as seeds are sown and as the kingdom grows. And what is he empowered to do? Well, we've said to be witnesses. And I take it, before Jesus in the Old Testament, there were a select few whom God empowered by his spirit for particular tasks, in individuals set apart for a particular ministry, or kings or prophets or judges, often just for a season or just for a time or just for a particular job just for a particular role. The difference now is all of God's people are in on this new task. It's not just for a particular season or a particular time or a particular role or a particular job. Now it's everybody. It's the initials who here, who saw him and who passed on news of him. They were to be witnesses. Witnesses as to his resurrection, as to his reality, as to his power. But now that mantle comes to us as we point people to the apostles and their witness. But also uh, as we are witnesses to others of who Jesus is and, and of what he has done in us. Of his reality in changing us. Which means, listen to this, if you're listening in and you are a Christian, you have God's spirit living in you. And God's spirit helps you to witness to him, to him. That power word there, later in Acts, is tied in with bold witnessing. It's sticking our heads above the parapets. It's, it's having courage. It's stepping out in faith. It's being out of our comfort zone. And we can't afford to forget this. If you were here last week as the church, we were thinking about how, how great the news of the resurrection is and, and how in an uncertain year ahead and 
we can have lots of things we don't know, but we can have a humble confidence in the foundation of our faith, in the reality of the risen Jesus. We might not be sure about how to move out of lockdown, although we've got plans, but we can be sure about the reality of Jesus being raised again, the truth of his promises being fulfilled, or the fact that we can trust him, e even if, and maybe particularly if, things don't seem to be as we would do them, or even as we would want them. We can trust him because he, he promised that he would rise again, and he did rise again. And that's a reality, a truth for us as a church in these coming few months, the level of uncertainty, but it's true for us as well as individuals in all kinds of contexts. Maybe you've got something new on the horizon. Do you know that God can use you? He can use you, however weak and faltering we might feel, however much we've got it wrong in the past, however uncertain, however much we might feel like we don't have the answers, however anxious we feel about it, however scared we feel to, to let colleagues or friends or family even know that we're believers. Because... Because who is the person best equipped in all the world to tell others about what Jesus has done for you, of how he's changed your life? Who is the person in all the world who's best equipped to do that? To, to tell others about what Jesus has done in you and where you are. You are the world expert and he helps you to do that. He, he helps you to be the witness which tells people what he has done in you, whether you're seven, whether you're 107. And so he can use someone even like you because, because he empowers you to do it by his spirit. It's not just an idea, not just a theory or a hypothesis, but it's real. One thing that always um, encourages me, challenges me, is the idea that that one single conversation with someone, that, that five minute chat with them about the gospel could utterly change them forever, could utterly turn their lives upside down. I know it's often not the way God does it. It's normally a, often a process. It's a step by step by step thing. But just sometimes, sometimes that five minute conversation might change everything, might change the trajectory of their lives. And so let me say to you, be encouraged and let God use you. And, and open your mouth and go for it. Where and when and with whom this coming week could that be you? Which colleagues or friends or family or neighbours or teammates or course mates or classmates? Or... Open your mouth because he uses weak and faltering people like, like me and like you. It's striking that in Acts chapter one, this is a story, as we've said, that is still unfolding and it's still unfinished. And it's a story that looks ahead, it points us ahead, actually. We'll see that in a moment when we look at verse eight. But it's worth just noting as well that it's also a story that started well before Acts, at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. God promised a man called Abraham that he would be with him and his descendants. And despite his age and despite his wife's age and his family would be huge. And from his family, from God's promise to Abraham, would come one who would bless the whole earth. 
And as we begin Acts, we begin to see some of those promises being fulfilled. We, we see it coming in greater clarity. We see God's faithfulness. We see the importance of this chapter in the God's storyline in the Bible. So do you remember God promised to Abraham he would be with him and his descendants? And here we have God by his spirit coming to live in his people. You can't get much closer than that. Or God promised to Abraham his family would bless the whole earth. And here we have him saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. From this family, the ends of the earth will be blessed. Which leads us, in fact, nicely to the second point. This idea that we are to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And 1 verse 8 is, is, I think, probably the key verse in the whole of the book of Acts. Indeed, in the whole of this era of God's plan for his world. It sets the agenda for the chapters to come. It's almost like a contents page you get in verse 8. Um, we're actually just going to look at the first few verses of Acts. But why not read on this week or in the weeks ahead? Why not see God's plan being worked out? Why not see the, the message of the gospel traveling and transforming the world let me show you how it works from um, 1 verse 8 jerusalem um, their witness will begin in jerusalem the city where they are now that was to be their first phase of witnessing that's the first thing on their to-do list and we see that happening in chapters 2 to 7 of the book of acts but from here then it builds and it grows and the gospel is not chained and it spreads and so in chapters 8 to 12, we see the word at work in all Judea and Samaria. And then even on to the ends of the earth, we focus in on Paul. He takes the message further afield into Europe, chapters 13 to 28. So in 1 verse 8, you get the three stages. But then from there, of course, history rolls on to us. We are, in one sense, the ends of the earth. See, what's going on is the risen and ascended and exalted Jesus is Lord of all the earth. And that is news. That is not simply them trying to sell something. That is not simply lifestyle advice. That is not simply something to squish into their already busy and full lives, another hobby. It is news, which means everyone needs to know it. And I find that really challenging, especially in our world where faith is seen as only private and only personal. And therefore, it's fine for you to have your little ideas, but please don't, please don't share them with me. It's fine for you to enjoy church on a Sunday. That's great that you want to do that. Um, that's not really my thing. So please, please don't talk to me about what you believe. Please don't talk to me about Jesus, is what our friends say. But one person puts it like this, and I was quite struck by this. This idea that it's news means that I should want to talk about Jesus to my atheist friend with his fast car and his sky high self-confidence. Not just because he would be happier and more fulfilled if he was a Christian, but because I know that he belongs to the one true risen and ascended Lord. 
It means that I can talk to the cynical retirees with a fat nest egg, not just because they will soon face eternity, but because today they exist for the pleasure of God. It means I don't need to spend months or even years of getting to know someone before I think I have earned the right to talk to them about my faith. I don't need to earn the right because it's not my gospel, it's not my message, it's, it's news. Maybe you're visiting us online um, and you're not that sure of what you make of Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps you've always been to church. Perhaps... Perhaps you've stumbled across us. Perhaps you've been coming for years. I'd want to encourage you to take this opportunity now to think it through for yourself. Maybe you're new to Christian things and looking in, or maybe you've been coming for months. Please know that at Morden Road, we believe that this message that Jesus died for us and he rose from the dead and he's king of everything. We think it's great news. We, we love to talk about it. We'd like to talk about it more. But as I said last week, we'd love you to be able to think and to consider that for yourself. To get in contact and we can help you to do that. We have something called Christianity Explored, which we often put on. And we just finished one recently, but we can happily start another, particularly because it's quite easy online. It's a chance to think through with an adult mind the claims of Jesus. To, to consider some of the source documents for yourself. To ask your questions. Try to understand what the Christian faith is really all about, because very often people don't get it. You see, something changed these disciples. Something transformed them from being cowering wimps who scarpered, who scattered, to being those who are now willing to die. They saw something, they encountered something, they experienced something, they were empowered by something. And we think it's because Jesus rose again and because they were empowered by his Holy Spirit. It's worth saying it's why we should love the local church too. Because local churches in all their mess and all their imperfections and littered all around the world, places where the gospel is taught and spoken of and lived out and where grace ought to be modelled, where someone ought to be able to get a glimpse of the power of the gospel at work in unfinished and bruised and broken people. Local churches, Acts would say, are the prime means by which God is at work today. You see, as Acts goes on, you see not just messages starting and messages firing around the place, but you see local churches planted, new communities formed, people transformed. So church planting is important. It's why we've planted in, in Cowley and in Bicester, and we hope and pray in the years to come we'd plant again. It's, it's why we, one of the reasons at least, we have invested in a bigger building, a base for us to serve from, that this message might ring out from us, that churches might be planted from us, that God would be pleased to work in and through us. This news, this gospel... It's for all kinds of places. So it was for the large city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a place of influence and importance and power. It was their home. It was their base. But it was more than just Jerusalem. It was also for the countryside around, for Judea and Samaria. They were the overlooked places. They were the places that people often tried to avoid. People wouldn't want to stick there. 
They were also rural towns. They were slow moving. They were probably not we would what we would describe as strategic. But then the story grows, the message spreads from country to country, all, all kinds of people, all kinds of places, diverse and yet united in their need for the gospel. And, and as you read through Acts, you see that pattern being filled out. You see places of influence that act as sending centres to others. And so we're to be spirit empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth. God, God drops the stone in the middle of the pond and the ripples flow out to the edge. The gospel is carried by people through words, empowered by his spirit. So we're saying this is a unique point in God's plan for his world, this point of Acts. Acts chapter one is a unique place. But I think it's worth saying as well that it gives us something of a helpful model for what he calls us to do, us as a corporate body, as the church, but also us as individuals. We don't have to go to Jerusalem as our starting point, of course not. But I think it's worth asking where our Jerusalem is, whether as, as individuals or, or as a church, where is your local sphere of influence? That that place where you live or you work or you study, that place where you shop or, or friendships and clubs and groups that you're a part of, your family, that central core to your life. Perhaps people you particularly pray for, people who are particularly on your heart, people for whom you have a particular concern. Where is your Jerusalem in which he calls you to be your spirit empowered witnesses? Where is your Jerusalem? But then I wonder if we need to step out a bit further to the Judeas and the Samarias proverbially. People and places and contexts a step or so removed from us. Maybe just outside our comfort zone. Maybe it takes a bit more courage and boldness. Again, where might those places be for you? But then as well to the ends of the earth. Again, remember, we are the ends of the earth from the from the first point. The gospel moved through Europe and came across the sea to us and people aren't quite sure, maybe the fourth century. But it's worth saying as well, this may be the first time you've considered the need or the possibility. Or a calling for you to head across to the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth and indeed Oxford and East Oxford has all kinds of people on our doorstep. The nations are in our neighbourhood. So we can do it here. But we're also part of the people who keep sending. Might it be that the Lord has shaken you up? Might it be that you read 1 verse 8 and you see the ends of the earth and maybe you know that's you. Maybe as you look to the future, it might be that the Lord is calling you somewhere else. Whether in this country or overseas. If that's the case, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to begin that journey with you, pray for you, pray with you. But know this, wherever we end up, whether East Oxford or the ends of the earth, God empowers us by his spirit that we might be witnesses for him. And so let's pray now. Lord, we confess to you our, our weakness. We confess to you our timidity, our lack of courage. 
confess to you the times when we don't open our mouths when we should we don't when we aren't the witnesses that we ought to be but we thank you we thank you for your grace and your kindness and we thank you that you fill us by your spirit and so we pray even this week would you give us opportunities to to witness for you to tell others what you have done to tell others what you've done in our lives Lord, we thank you that it's always been this way it's always been weak and frail individuals weak and frail churches empowered by you and through whom your message spreads through whom the kingdom grows in jesus name amen